Hi everyone, I'm Carla. And I'm Iman. And this is Screensaver, our podcast about all things pop culture. Today, we are back to discuss a movie that completely caught us off guard, Blade Runner 2049, starring Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford. We'll take a deep dive into the film's complex plot lines, its gorgeous cinematography and costume design, that coat though, <laughs> and finally, we'll decide how it compares to the original 1982 cult classic, Blade Runner. Stay with us. All of that is coming right after the break. I found him. That's not possible. You have 48 hours to erase everything. Or you bought a war. Replicants are the future. But I can only make so many. I had the luck, and he has the key. Bring it to me. I did your job once. Things were simpler then. Tell me what you remember. We were being hunted. By who? They know you're here. The future of the species is finally unearthed. Woo! All right, so Iman, we saw Blade Runner 2049 last week, and I must say, since then, I've been so excited to discuss it with you on our podcast, because there is a lot to unpack. But before we do that, let's kick off this conversation the way we always do, with a little bit of plot talk. Sounds great. Set 30 years after the events of Ridley Scott's cult classic, Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049 is a sci-fi thriller that depicts a future dystopian Los Angeles where pollution has had extreme effects on climate, not so different from today, (laughs) artificial farming feeds the masses, and Blade Runners, or special agents, are used to clear away the few replicants, uh, they're kind of like robots, I guess you can say, Mm -hmm. that remain. The movie follows a new Blade Runner, LAPD officer K, played by Ryan Gosling, as he unearths a long-buried secret that has the potential to plunge what's left of society into chaos. K's discovery leads him on a long quest to find Rick Deckard, played by Harrison Ford, a former LAPD Blade Runner who has been missing for 30 years. This movie is kind of hard to recap because there are a lot of twists and turns. Hopefully that in and of itself isn't much of a spoiler, but I'm definitely looking forward to talking about it. Carla, what were your initial impressions? Well, this isn't the first time we mentioned Blade Runner 2049 on this podcast. We reviewed the trailer a few months back on our Comic-Con episode, and at the time, I think it's fair to say we felt curious and cautiously optimistic about this movie. I mean, we've both been fans of the original 1982 Blade Runner for a while, and I was surprised to see they were making a sequel so many years after the release of the first. All this is to say, there was a wide margin of opportunity for this movie to fail, and I'm delighted to say I think this movie steered well clear of that. I really like this movie. I thought the storyline was original, thoroughly captivating, and all the twisty, turny plot points definitely kept me engaged throughout. And visually, 
This movie was everything I expected from Denis Villeneuve, who we have seen previously with um, his movie Arrival. Ooh, I still haven't seen it. Yes. From him, you always expect just jaw-droppingly beautiful cinematography. Iman, what did you think about this movie? What were your initial impressions? To be honest, I... You mentioned that we've talked about this movie before. I wasn't all that excited for this movie. There's Hmm. a good chance that I would not have seen it if it hadn't been for your reaction and recap to the trailer. But I'm glad we did. I thought it was a fun almost three hours. <laughs> I thought it was visually beautiful. I think there, I never felt bored. And I think that it was just a really creative re-immersion into the world that the original Blade Runner created. Yeah, I'd say there were a lot of things about this movie that worked really well. And one of those things was the way it depicted Vision's of a not-so-distant future. Maybe this is just the urban planner in me, but I am a huge sucker for seeing futuristic depictions of cities and films. It's always been something that really captivated me, and to me, it was one of the things that I actually loved most about watching the first Blade Runner. So I was glad this movie continued along this trajectory, of presenting us with a future version of L.A. that sparked my curiosity and built upon the world we'd been introduced to in the first film. Yeah, definitely. I think... I might be wrong, but I, if I remember correctly, that most of the first Blade Runner takes place only in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I thought that what was really fun about this Blade Runner is that you do kind of... You go out to Vegas or something that could be Vegas. You go out to San Diego. Yeah. Out to San Diego. Uh, <laughs> San Onofre. San Onofre. Yeah. It, it just spread it out and it made it very fun to be in Southern California while watching this movie. Uh, you mentioned that Blade Runner in the first one, it showed a lot of the city. I loved that the original Blade Runner showed a lot of LA's social culture. It went into hmm. the linguistics. I thought all of that was really fun. Yeah. And I do wish that this film had shown more of LA's social culture because I do think that there are a lot of pertinent issues right now that we're facing that it would have been really interesting to see explored. Something like immigration, maybe. In this movie, it's kind of hinted that there are people living on other planets, but we Mm -hmm. don't see much of that. That being said, we're talking about what worked, and I do think that seeing the broader physical landscape was interesting, and also the technology that's undergirding the city to me was probably some of the most interesting I've seen in sci-fi. Oh, definitely. I remember being really impressed with her, but seeing the seeing the artificial intelligence and technologies used in this movie was really fun. I mean, in this future, we've come a long, long way from Tupac holograms. <laughs> you see uh, 3D AIs and you see ads that interact with you while you're walking through a city. It it felt very feasible. Yes. And I, I really liked that. Yeah, you mentioned social culture and I think that's interesting because to me, I I thought rather than showing 
people interacting with each other. It's imagining a future where people are a lot more isolated from one another. Mm, so their only social interactions are with artificial intelligent beings mm -hmm. or holograms. So definitely they veered heavy into the tech aspects of what a future LA or city might look like. Yeah, but you're right that that you can make a point of that very isolation. Yeah. Another big picture item that I think just worked really well in this movie were all the technical aspects that basically make a movie great. I'm talking about things like cinematography, which we've already mentioned how beautiful this movie is. Mm -hmm. Costume design was amazing. You mentioned the coat. Yes, <laughs> we mentioned this is a very polluted environment. And I thought it was interesting that instead of having people in like spacesuits and something that was really overt, Kay is wearing this really functional coat that just has a... Uh, it's almost like fashion has adapted to this environment as well in that everyone wears higher collars so that you can just cover your face. Right. Something simple and it was subtle, but I, it, yeah, it was great. You could tell it was really well thought out. I also loved the movie's soundtrack. Mm. It was heavy on the synth and it <laughs> didn't go too far into playing a lot of saxophone solos like the yeah. first Blade Runner did. <laughs> yeah. So. That was an improvement. And I also thought the special effects of this movie were great because you don't really think about them that much as you're watching it. You see a flying car, but you don't think about all the technical aspects that went into making it. Very true. This isn't Marty McFly hopping on a hoverboard. It's right. not like a, wow, look at that. <laughs> it's just something, everything felt very natural. And like I said before, it just very feasible. Yes. And I think one of the reasons why it felt so feasible was because they showed that technology even in 2049, is still flawed and has its hiccups. Mm -hmm. Like uh, an AI system might freeze when you're getting an incoming message. <laughs> yeah. Things like that. Like even in its imperfections, those were the things that made this movie completely believable. I do wonder if stuff like that, like watching the original Blade Runner, I remember thinking it's funny that they can imagine these super advanced robots but they can't imagine a computer with a thin screen <laughs> yeah stuff like that i'm wondering if people will look back on this movie maybe in 2049 and think they can't imagine a hologram that doesn't <laughs> pause when there's a phone call like st stuff like that i think it'll just be really fun to revisit iman what else do you think was a success in this movie I think this is something that's been called into question and maybe something that we'll tease out later, but I do think that this movie was a worthy expansion of the Blade Runner universe. For fans of the original, I think it put you back in that world, and as we've been mentioning, especially with talking about the special effects, movie technology has advanced so thoroughly that even if it was for nothing more than to see that world with our current technologies applied to it, I mean, it it was a fun time. What about Definitely. you? Oh, I agree. There were plenty of callbacks to the first movie in both the ideas and the physical callbacks. I mean, 
In terms of the ideas, this movie also is tackling big questions like what does it mean to be human and what is the cost of slavery or even things like the potential extremes of climate change or the omnipresence of advertising. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of the physical callbacks, you saw things like costume design or... Uh, one character wearing a completely transparent plastic-looking <laughs> coat that reminded me of fans, the one you see the replicant wearing. In, yeah, fans of the original. Will in the original one, that. that's one thing I absolutely loved about this movie. That fans of the original movie will be rewarded and will recognize certain aspects or characteristics of the original movie that made it so iconic. Yeah, there were plenty of Easter eggs. Oh, for sure. And then another thing that made this interesting or gave Blade Runner 2049 a lot of depth were all of the literary references that just give so much room for interpretation and thought provocation. Uh, Mm. A lot of the reviews I've read have mentioned the ways in which Blade Runner echoes stories like... Pinocchio, Oliver Twist, Treasure Island, Hmm. The Great Gatsby, and while watching it, I was also reminded of movies like Star Wars with Kay going on his own hero's journey and then us seeing that trope kind of turned on its head. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've mentioned there are similarities to the movie Her, which is an obvious one in terms of the technology. And shockingly enough, I was even reminded of the Disney movie Inside Out. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Let me explain this one. I thought the filmmakers just seemed to take similar care and effort in thinking about what characteristics make a human a human. In Inside Out, that emphasis was more on emotion, and in this Blade Runner, we see an entire job industry on producing fabricated memories for replicants. So they put a lot of emphasis on human memory. And one of the ways in which memory was stored were in like marble shaped balls, which definitely reminded me of Inside Out in terms of memory storage. That's so true. And then you also saw um, a character named Anna whose job was to, she she looked like a photographer or a mm-hmm. filmmaker, and her job was to fabricate memories from scratch. And this reminded me of that amazing sequence in Inside Out where they go to the dream-making studio. Yeah, very true. I don't know. I thought the fact that Blade Runner seemed to pull from my favorite aspects of a lot of other movies we've enjoyed was a good sign, and it showed that they they thought about this a lot. Do you think that these were intentional or just fun things that us nerds can tease out? Well, for some of these references, like Treasure Island or Oliver Twist or Her, they seem so obvious. I can't imagine them not doing it on purpose. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's as a result of probably nerds and big fans of those movies 
getting a chance to make a movie that implements some of those ideas and fleshes them out too. Something that we haven't mentioned is that the original Blade Runner and the story as a whole is based upon a book. It's based upon Philip K. Dick's fantastic sci-fi novel, The Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. Mm -hmm. And although it's not 100% true to the book. The book explores naturally a lot more than the movie was able to cover. I do think that the literary references that that movie reviewer was getting excited about, I mean, they're probably Philip K. Dick's (laughs) references. I do think the movies that you mentioned, though, they must have been keeping them in mind. I don't know about Inside Out, but the fact (laughs) that uh, the technologies that are available now have led maybe independently separate filmmakers to come to the same conclusions is definitely interesting. Alrighty, man. So there was a lot we liked about this movie. We liked all the technical aspects. We liked the overall storyline and Mm -hmm. its observations about the future. But we have to concede there were a few things that didn't work as well. What would you say was one of the things that didn't work in Blade Runner 2049? Uh, I'll probably quote the person that was walking out of the theater behind us, which was just, (laughs) that was long. (laughs) Uh, Yes, I think this movie clocks in at just under three hours. That's insane. I remember when you mentioned how long the movie was going to be, I was very surprised by the length, but watching it, I will say, it never felt like it dragged. Mm -hmm. My critique of the length, since we're discussing what didn't work, would have more to do with the fact that the movie in those three hours took on a lot Mm -hmm. and yet didn't successfully resolve all the breadcrumbs that it was dropping throughout. I remember Kay finding a yellow flower. I remember this entire side plot about revolutionary replicants never getting really teased out. Yeah. I mean, I will say, I'm sure being left in the dark was intentional. These movies are somewhat impressionistic in their plot development. But when it's a movie at once complicated enough that you have to watch it several times to get it, Mm -hmm. and way too long for a casual viewing, my grandma self just gets tired at the thought. Yeah. I I definitely agree with you there. I think a lot of those decisions were intentional. I don't know if they were trying to leave the door open for a potential for a sequel or another sequel, I guess. In another 30 years. I hope not, because I kind of like the ambiguity. I like when heady movies like this are just left open to interpretation. Mm -hmm. And I think the first Blade Runner, or at least the 1982 one, did suffer from a lot of the same critiques. A lot of people thought it took on a little bit too much, and maybe it didn't answer all the questions and tie up all the loose ends. But that was kind of what people liked about it at the end of the day so yeah it was long but if you were looking for a movie like this and are already a fan of it i don't think it'll be too big of a hindrance that that won't bother you as much i will say there was another thing that 
the more I think about it, the more upset it makes me. <laughs> okay, lay it on me. And that was the main villain of this movie, played by Jared Leto. I'm blanking on his name. I think it was something like Tyson. I know it wasn't Tyrell, because that's the first movie. But the fact that I can't remember his name says something about his presence as a villain. Right. This villain, who's this, I mean, very wealthy guy that is... Uh, kind of the, not creator, but he's the funder for ventures trying to create more and more replicants. Mm -hmm. Which are used off-world. Which are used off-world, kind of like a slave race to help develop foreign worlds, foreign planets. Mm Mm-hmm. He was the mastermind, but he took a backseat to his henchman, a replicant named Love, spelled L-U-V, very, very modern. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I agree with you. I I was ultimately glad his character wasn't in the movie that much because he didn't add much to it. And the little he did was confusing. Definitely. I mean, he was really... One of the only scenes we get with him is... Him being violent towards a replicant, I'll leave it at that. So Mm -hmm. I found him personally despicable. But even in that scene, I feel like the movie never presented him in a context where his actions were challenged or where he got a real comeuppance. Yes. I mean, what even happened to his character at the end of the movie? I can't say. I don't remember his name. And the fact that we never got that, I think, says a lot. Yes. Another thing that I had a problem with, at least with this movie, and also with the first Blade Runner, too, was... Definitely with the first movie. (laughs) The fact that the depiction of women in this movie still made me uneasy. Yeah. I think I I had that reaction um, when you mentioned the first movie because there's a famous scene that's kind of like a seduction scene but it feels rapey between deckard and a replicant yeah yeah everyone calls it the rape scene everyone calls (laughs) it the rape scene with good reason it's weird um and i feel like this movie and the update they took great pains to put women in positions of power there's a female police chief there's a female really badass assassin But the only people in this movie that ever really got any real interiority or three-dimensionality as characters were men. It Mm -hmm. was Kay and it was Deckard. They're the only two characters that I ever felt like I understood their motivations or their emotions. And And most of the women that we are introduced to are, are basically objectified. They are either holograms or they're used as primarily as sex objects yeah or their huge statues in in las vegas (laughs) yeah probably not the greatest city for uh positive depictions of women but no i i will say there were a few tertiary female characters that gestured towards female empowerment and kind of i can't give anything away but It moves towards that, but it never goes there. Yes. So I would say that's one thing. It was a complaint with the first movie, and although it seems like they made efforts to resolve it with this one, it 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 wasn't... It could have been better. It could have been better. All right, Iman. How about we transition into our shout-outs for Blade Runner? Yes. Okay. I've complimented it twice already, but 
first shout out is to those high jacket callers. Yes. Listeners of this podcast will know that I am a fan of cool jackets. I went on and on and on about the Vulture's trucker jacket, <laughs> which I absolutely loved. I'm a sucker for fur collar, faux fur collars, excuse me. Uh-huh. And uh, this one was just really cool. I think that, um, on, on a more, se- more seriously, I think that Something that was so cool about the original design of the Blade Runner costumes and uh, Harrison Ford's original costuming was that it was a visual shout out to noir films mm-hmm. where you have these hard-boiled detectives wearing their cool overcoats because it's assumed they're going to be out and about in the city in the rain. Yeah. And the fact that Kay in this movie was wearing one as well, it was both a shout out to that detective origin and also a shout out to the fact that this LA is very foreign. You can be wearing, I mean, in LA today, if you wear a fur jacket, it's like, what are you doing? You're going to boil. Yeah. And here, it's in LA that's snowing. I mean, there's it's just been completely transformed by global warming. So shout out to that high jacket collar for both looking cool and carrying a lot of semantic weight. Yes, I spoke to friend of the pod, Eric, about this movie right after he saw it. And with Halloween coming up, I mentioned, yeah, the, that coat would be so fun for a Halloween costume. Yeah. And he responded... Halloween, I would base my entire wardrobe around that coat, which is the perfect response. Yes. That's how good that coat is. So good. Okay. I think we've gushed about that coat enough. (laughs) My first shout out is one that completely caught me off guard when I was watching this movie. I have to give a shout out to hologram elvis yeah oh my gosh i mentioned hologram tupac earlier this to me was just kind of like what there is a lot of nostalgia in this world depicted in blade runner and to see famous figures like elvis and frank sinatra make appearances felt it in a weird way feel more grounded in reality even though they're a representative of vestiges of sin city and old classic las vegas what's your next shout out this is what's the opposite of a shout out what's a shout out for shouting this is a shout at (laughs) the name joe oh my god i don't want to give too much away but if you're a person that's never been assigned a name Choose something cool like Finn. Like, that's a Star Wars Force Awakens reference. Choose something cool and unique. In this movie, Kay gets kind of assigned a name. And it's the name Joe. You know what I so think of bad. with the name Joe? Joe Rogan. No one wants to be associated with Joe Rogan. Joe Schmo. Sloppy Joe. Joe the Plumber. Joe the Plumber. It's one of those, again, like... Stay just, away from just it. Stay, I mean, I'm sorry to all the Joes out there, but it just felt so like, really? I don't know. I think it was meant to be a joke in the movie, but... A joke. Yeah, it really stuck <laughs> yeah. with me. Yeah. I'm going to give a quick shout out to Ryan Gosling's nose, just because it gets punched so many times in this movie. Oh my gosh. It was a real trooper, and apparently there's a funny... Aside that Harrison Ford actually punched Ryan Gosling in the face yes. in real life while filming this. So, poor guy. It deserves a shout out. 
I actually read that as a means of making up for actually punching Ryan in the face, Harrison Ford brought him a glass of whiskey, Uh huh. but refused to leave the whole bottle because it was, quote, only a punch. <laughs> but That sounds like such a Harrison Ford thing to do. It was. But uh, I'm using that as a segue to my next shout out, which also features Harrison Ford as Deckard. So, shout out to the act of pouring one out for the homies. (laughs) There is a scene in this movie where Deckard is pouring whiskey. Uh, He pours a glass for himself, a glass for Kay, and then spills some on the ground. And both Carla and I, we discussed this afterwards and had thought... Is he pouring one out for the homies? But minutes later, we find that he was actually just pouring it for his dog. But I'm I'm going to hold on to the idea that he was pouring one out because that is just too fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, Iman. How about we go into our final thoughts and rankings for yeah, this movie? I'm curious to hear yours. Okay. Well... As we've mentioned before, I think in many ways, Blade Runner 2049 surpasses the original while paying homage to the classic Blade Runner original, which has sustained audience adoration for over 30 years. Its new visions of the future are haunting and mystifying, and at the same time, the movie engaged all the technical characteristics of a cinematic masterpiece. It may not be perfect... And it may not be for everyone, but is it worth watching? Yes, definitely. And I'd say watch it on the biggest screen possible. (laughs) Yes. So for all of that, I'm going to give this movie 9.5 out of 10 flying cars. Ooh. What about you, Iman? What do you rank Blade Runner 2049? All right. I have a confession to make. I respect and love a lot about the first Blade Runner, but I get that it's not for everyone, and some days, some months, it's not even for me. The more I think about it, the more I realize these, I mean, this is kind of an obvious statement, but one that kind of took me a little while to get into is just that these aren't optimistic movies. Mm Mm-hmm. You can have dystopian movies that kind of have hope for the future at the end or kind of gesture towards humans ultimately triumphing or at least making attempts to create a future. I'm thinking of something like Children of Men. Mm -hmm. But the Blade Runner movies project futures, or in the case of 2049, given that it's so close to us, alternate realities that offer little hope for salvation or opportunity for redemption for their main characters. I wasn't alive when the first movie came out, but I'd imagine that the original Blade Runner, having been released at the edge of a technological revolution in 1982, grappled with issues that were barely entering the public consciousness. So that lack of knowing what would happen kind of made sense for it. The challenge for 2049 is that the generations of films that have come after this original Blade Runner have picked up the baton, 
in the 30 years since its release and further explored the conundrums that that original movie presented about artificial life, about how humans interact with technology. So the difficulty is that we have her, we have Black Mirror, and we have so many films and TV shows that are grappling with the issues that the original Blade Runner took on, that it would be impossible for 2049 to replicate the novelty of that original film. Mm -hmm. And therein lies the source of a lot of criticism that I've read about this movie. People are saying it's all style, it's no substance. It's pretty, but it doesn't offer any new perspective or anything new. But I'd say having been released in an era where depictions of dystopian futures are released by the dozens... I think it's unfair to say that unsurprising substance is no substance at all. Hmm. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I'd say we shouldn't measure the sequel by the metric of the original and instead just applaud it for what it was. I thought it was a beautiful two plus hours of film that kept me stimulated throughout. It presented a lot of interesting alternatives for the future. Everything from as you mentioned in your shout out, flying cars to insect sourced protein. <laughs> I mean, it, it was interesting and I enjoyed it. I don't think I would go quite as high as a 9.5 out of 10. That's uh, that's Mad Max rating for me. <laughs> but I would give this a solid 8.5 out of 10 wooden horses. Very nice. All right. Well... I think on that note, we should probably cap off this episode of Screensaver. For those of you listening out there, if you have any thoughts you want to share with us on Blade Runner, let us know. We obviously have tons of them. <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter at ScreensaverPod and like our Facebook page, Screensaver Podcast. And as always, you can find other episodes of Screensaver on iTunes. A full 35 of them! <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, guys. Bye! Bye! Right, so Iman, we saw Blade Runner. Is that our thing now? <laughs> <laughs>